All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome to a fresh week of the Daily Face-Off Show. Tyler Yurumchuk and Frank Saravalli with you. And there's nothing better to get you through a case of the Mondays than knowing that a Game 7 is coming up tonight. We'll get on get to that in just a second. But first, Frank, happy Memorial Day, a holiday down in the U.S. And you have a shirt to uh, fit the occasion as well. I love it. Y- yes, I do. Yeah, a little uh, American flag, some fireworks. We had some fireworks here last night. We got a beer on here, a beach umbrella. I am uh, I'm ready to go for Memorial Day and uh, excited. Game seven on a Monday, Western Conference Finals starting on Tuesday. Giddy up. We got a lot to get through this week. We do. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock. Let's not waste any more time and let's get set. For the sixth Game 7 of these 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs, Carolina and New York. It is in Carolina, which is huge because the home team has won every game so far in this series. Frank, uh, you look back to Game 6, it was the Rangers putting up five, the most goals anyone scored in a game in this series. Igor Shesterkin made 37 saves in the victory as well. It looked like maybe in Game 6, New York was starting to build up some momentum. Maybe they found a way to solve anti-Ranta, but at the same time, like I said, the home teams have won every game. Frank, do you like that trend to continue tonight? I actually don't. Um, and the reason for that is we've established already, we know just looking at this series alone, that there's no momentum game to game. But what I think really stands out are a few things. One, the Carolina Hurricanes have had a chance to make life pretty easy for themselves. Both series now that they've played, they've been up 2 nothing. They've been up 3-2. And yet they've had to go to game seven both times. And now this time around, 
The problem is Antti Ranta is coming off of being yanked and Igor Shesterkin at the other end of the ice has only gotten better and better as the playoffs have gone along. The Rangers seem to have found their offense a bit. The Hurricanes seem to be playing with fire. And I just like Shesterkin against Ranta in this matchup. It seems like the, the Rangers have found a way to get to him and make life difficult a little bit. And, and that, I think, is going to be the difference in Game 7. So I like the Rangers. And, you know, I just think it's always compelling in a Game 7. But between these two teams and what's been a really boring series, we finally needed this moment. Yeah, I mean, you talked about Ranta getting yanked. I'm looking at those Shesterkin numbers, and I'm just kind of scratching my head going, how is he three and three with a 949 save percentage? Like it's absolutely unbelievable. I, I do kind of like the Rangers as well. The fact they're getting their offense going. And like you said, I'll just echo it. Like Igor being as good as he is right now, he could very well steal this game. Game seven's usually a coin flip though. Frank, give me your game seven hero picks for either side here. Well, I like the Jacob Slavin pick, if you've seen the stuff that the NHL has put out, he's just one point away from passing Mr. Game 7 himself in Justin Williams for most Game 7 points in franchise history. Slavin has five Game 7 points in just two career Game 7. So I like Slavin, and on the other end, as I mentioned, I like Shesterkin. He would be the hero for me. He's the guy that uh, his game has has slowly ramped up and up as the playoffs have gone along. Yeah, I'm looking at a guy. I mean, I don't worry. I'm not going out of the, sorry, anywhere crazy here, but Aho, he has four goals in this playoff run. They've all come on home ice. He's certainly a guy to watch. Mika Zabinijad, he scored four straight as well. So the big guns, Frank, that's who I like looking at tonight for potential game seven heroes. See who stars can come through for them in a big moment. Then you win. You get Tampa Bay in the next round, and they're a team that's just been sitting and resting now for pretty much a week. Uh, what, what, if you were, a, if you were a lightning fan, Frank, or if you were on the lightning, who would you be rooting for in this game seven tonight? I'd be rooting, rooting for the Rangers. And I know that you can look at that and say, Hey, well, they've got Igor Shesterkin and it might be, you know, a really interesting matchup if he could shut down the Tampa Bay lightning forwards. I just think Tampa with the rest, it's overwhelming. Andre Vasilevsky doesn't matter who he's playing against. He's the best goaltender in the series. And I just look at all the chances that the New York Rangers give up on a repeated basis. I think Carolina's defense is much more stout. I think their forecheck is way more consistent. I think their overall game is way more consistent. I think that would be a tougher matchup for the Lightning. But I think here's the answer either way. For two teams that have really struggled to win on the road, the Rangers' record is only one better than the Carolina Hurricanes in these playoffs in terms of uh, playing on the road. and. Tampa's not going to be afraid of either one of those teams uh, in terms of, you know, winning in whatever building necessary. They want a Stanley Cup in the bubble. So they're not going to be phased. Um, and I think they're just ready. You know, be really curious to see about the status of Braden Point, um, you know, moving forward with that injury. Is he going to be available? Is he not? Uh, and then it's, it's Vasilevsky for me, the guy that just looms large over everything. Yeah, earlier today, we did a new episode of the DFO Rundown. That's out wherever you get your podcast from. And I, I initially said the Rangers because, you know, the Canes angle is they can shut them down, right? They can prevent the scoring chances and kind of like they have against New York when they've been winning, just keep it a low scoring hockey game. For the Rangers, I was looking at it as Vasilevsky's, like you said, he's going to be the best goalie in the series no matter what. But Shesterkin could at least make it close. And I looked at the star power 
on New York with the ways of Banajad's playing. You know, maybe Artemi Panarin wakes up in time for the Eastern Conference final. Chris Kreider, we know the damage he can do. And I just thought the Rangers could at least go toe to toe star power wise and keep up with the Lightning. But then I thought about it more and I was like, you know, the, the Florida Panthers had a historic offense and they couldn't keep up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I do think the correct answer is the Hurricanes. From a hockey fan perspective, though, I'm rooting for the Rangers just because I think Tampa, New York could be a little bit more fast paced and high flying than a Tampa Bay Carolina matchup. Yeah, and I was going to say, don't sleep on Artemi Panarin in Game 7. I know that he's been really quiet, really the entire playoffs to this point, but think back to Game 7 when they needed a goal in overtime against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was Panarin that woke up and got it after really struggling through most of that game. So keep an eye on Panarin in Game 7 tonight as well. I'm sure Rangers fans would love to see the Breadman wake up here in time for Game 7 of this series. Uh, some news we got over the weekend, Frank, that Jason Spezza is calling it a career. And what a career it was. Over 1,200 games, over 19 seasons in the NHL. Finishes five points shy of 1,000. Was originally picked second overall back in 01 by the Senators. In a pick they got in a pretty interesting trade to look back on with them getting Alexei Yashin and then Chara and Spezza going back the other way. Uh, he was a five-time 30-goal scorer, Frank. He made the Stanley Cup Finals with Ottawa back in 2007, but only made it out of the second round three times in his 19-year career. Uh, what what do you make of this news, and how will you remember Jason Spezza as an NHL? What's his sort of legacy, if you can call it that? His legacy is pure love of the game. That's what I think it is. You know, someone that le- lived, eat breathed, sleeped hockey. And, you know, I think there's a lot of guys, the passion transcends their play. And there's some guys that you can tell do it because it's a job that they're not really, they like hockey, but they're not in love with it. If they didn't have to put their pads on again, they'd be okay with it. They just happen to be really good at it. And with Spezza, it was someone that always tried to get better uh, had a little bit of a late late career resurgence, you know, leaving Dallas. A lot of people thought his career might be over. He joins the Toronto Maple Leafs and is a healthy scratch for the first game under Mike Babcock. Uh, I saw someone made the joke on social media that uh, now that he's joining the Leafs front office, maybe they can make him a healthy scratch for the first game of his tenure uh, uh, as well. Um, probably not something that Jason Spetz is laughing about, but in all, uh, a class player, uh, someone very well respected. And now I think I'm really curious to see what he can do with, you know, that talent and that passion that he has for the game to bring that to a front office, the Leafs uh, hiring him as special assistant to Kyle Dubas. And a lot of people think that Jason Spezza is one that could be on the fast track to being an NHL general manager someday with that knowledge for the game and, and his desire to continue to contribute. And so I think what really stands out, you mentioned the lack of you know, sort of overall playoff success, 1,248 games, not getting a Stanley Cup. But I think that's also going to continue to be what drives him now as he reaches the next part of his career off the ice to try and chase that Stanley Cup and the experience that he brings. Yeah, I love that you just brought up his love of the game, right? No one would have blamed him if after the Dallas thing, if you would have hung him up and been like, hey, I've had a really good career and no one would have blamed him if he hung up the skates this weekend and said, you know, I'm going to take a year off. I'm, I'm just going to pump the brakes a little. But it's a guy who, like you said, eats, sleep, lives, breathes hockey. And for him to go right into a GM role just tells you how much he loves the game and how he doesn't want to be apart from it at all. So congratulations to Jason Spezza on a fantastic career. Our fourth topic today, Frank, is uh, something we started doing towards the end of the regular season. 
paused it because the playoffs just got way too hectic, but we're picking it up again. It's down and out. And today we are focusing on the LA Kings. And you go back through the last few seasons for the LA Kings, 2018-19, last in the West. The next season, second last in the West. The next year, 25th in the NHL. And then bang, this year, they come out and they make the playoffs. They almost hit the 100-point mark, even though they got bounced in the first round. And I mean, it was a Game 7 loss. Like They very well could have still been playing this past week. Uh, this season, just it's a success flat out for the LA Kings, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think they're... I don't even want to say ahead of schedule. I think they're exactly on schedule. They've got a lot of work to do this off season though. And really what the first round taught me and probably I would imagine if you're sitting in Rob Blake's chair in Los Angeles and Luke Robitaille is they need help on defense that they, you know, they had a lot of young players that they transitioned into that position. Um, but they weren't really able to withstand the injury to Drew Doughty. And obviously that's a big one for any team to miss a Norris Trophy winner. But I think it also highlighted the sort of, you know, growing pains that they've had as well. Like they've got a, a bunch of players that have stepped into that spot. Um, you know, they missed Mikey Anderson for a period of time earlier this season in January and February. And you could tell just the, the individual growth and different steps that they've gotten from their team. Sean Dersey was a fantastic call up on their back end. They're all young for the most part, but they only have two to three guys that are under contract for next season, really starting with Matt Roy. Uh, you could you obviously include Sean Walker in there and Drew Doughty, but you know, you're young guys, you've got some RFAs that you need to get taken care of. That'll be easy. But who is filling out this group and how can you continue to add to it? in the offseason via trade or free agency. You think back to last summer and how they sort of acted kind of quickly, uh, adding someone like Victor Arvidsson and the job that he did up front uh, after his trade from the Nashville Predators. He had a solid season bouncing back with 20 goals. Is there someone out there of value that the LA Kings can go out and grab, someone that may be coming off a down year that can provide both experience and solid play on their back end that fits their salary cap structure moving forward? They've got a little bit of flexibility, Tyler. And the other thing that stands out is their goaltending position. Jonathan Quick had an excellent year. Um, he really took the reins from Cal Peterson, but Cal Peterson's three-year contract at $5 million a year kicks in starting this upcoming season. And that's going to be a tough one for the Kings. You know, Peterson didn't exactly end the season on a high note, um, you know, with his spot on the roster, 895 save percentage and almost half the games played this season. He really struggled. And that's going to be a significant question mark for the Kings to answer as well with Quick entering the last year of his contract. What does the Kings goaltending situation look like moving forward? Also, I mean, $20 million in, in projected cap space for this summer. You would imagine a big chunk of that is going to a guy like Hadrian Kempe, who had himself a fantastic season. He's a pending RFA. Just because you made the playoffs once, there's never that guarantee. So it'll be interesting to see how Rob Blake utilizes the cap space he has to try and prove this team a little bit more and make sure they can get back to the dance next season. Circling back to the playoffs, we have a doozy of a Western Conference final that gets going tomorrow. Peter Baugh from The Athletic will help us preview it in another edition of the All-32. Always a pleasure to be joined by Peter Baugh from The Athletic, who has a fantastic preview up with Alan Mitchell over at TheAthletic.com right now that you can go check out. Peter, it is Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon, the matchup that hockey fans are just salivating over. 
digging into this a little bit, what will the Avs approach to be to slowing down Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl? Will it be to put them head to head and go McKinnon against that top line every shift? Or will they try to get McKinnon maybe away from the Oilers stars and have McDavid and Draisaitl shut down by someone like Nazem Kadri? Yeah, I'm I'm frankly really curious about that as well. I think uh, Jared Bednar has been kind of keeping his his cards close to the vest, which makes sense this time of year. But I think there are a few cues we can take from practice yesterday, for example. So you saw um, they they have obviously a, a great top line of Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen that they've been splitting up these playoffs. And they had Rantanen uh, yesterday playing with Kadri and Lekkanen which I thought was really interesting. And that seems to me like maybe a line that uh, you could put against when you have the home ice advantage, you could put that line against maybe the McDavid line. Um, Kadri's really strong defensively. Lackanen's a good defender and Mika Rantanen's also pretty strong defensively. And also that's a line that can contribute offensively. So that's how they're going to approach this. And I think it should be a, a fascinating uh, matchup and one that I'm super excited for. And I think the hockey world is as well. Yeah, no doubt. Excited for all those matchups. Uh, also want to see how Connor McDavid might go up against uh, Kale McCarr, for instance, as well. Two of the best skating players in the league. But I really wanted to ask you, Peter, about the confidence level of the abs and how important you thought it was for them to finally break through past that second round and, and get into the conference final. They're a prohibitive favorite to win the Stanley Cup still. They were the trendy preseason pick, the, the team that everyone loaded up on. So how do the abs wear that? Are they confident when they get to this moment? Or is this the moment when they start to think about, you know, sort of how far they've gotten and really how close they are? Yeah, I think the line I've heard both Jared Bednar say and players say is that they fit. If they're playing their best, no one can beat them. And I think that's a, a fair belief that they have. I don't know if it's, I mean, if Tampa's playing at its best, maybe Vizky's <laughs> a kind of an unreal player so who knows but I think that that's the right approach for them and I think that that's a fair approach for them given the success they had in the regular season and the talent on their roster I think not only getting past the second round was big but I think the way in which they got through the second round was big last year against Vegas first time they got punched in the mouth game three they blow a lead and it took them a while to get back on the horse and get get kind of set and go and rolling again and when they did get rolling again, it was too late and they lost. Uh, this year, they have this game five where they're up three nothing. Um, they blow the three nothing lead. They're up four to three after an amazing Nathan McKinnon goal with less than a minute left in the game. They let the Blues tie it. They lose in overtime, a really painful loss. That's getting punched in the mouth. And th- what did they do the next game? They came back from a, a one nothing deficit and a 2-1 deficit to win in the third period with a Darren Helm goal at the buzzer. So I thought that was a really impressive win and maybe shows some growth from previous year's teams. Wanted to ask you too, Peter, about Darcy Kemper. You know, it, he's been probably fair to say pretty average, but also at the same time, the abs don't give up a ton of shots. So his save percentage always seems to get dented in that sense when he does give one up. How do you feel about Darcy Kemper and his game now heading into round three? Yeah, I'm, I, that's a great question, and I'm really curious about it. And I think that, weirdly, part of me wonders if the Edmonton matchup might be a little better for him. Not, I mean, look, he's going to be going against McDavid and Dreisaitl, and they're going to get their goals, and that's just going to happen. But part of me wonders if the Blues are kind of like 
They're not a team that possesses, especially against the Avs, they didn't possess the puck all that much. And when they did possess it, they more were patient and weren't really getting all sorts of shots on net. The Oilers are going to get their shots on net. And part of me wonders if that's going to allow Kemper to find a bit more of a rhythm and, and get a groove. Um, we'll see. Uh, he's he's going to be really important. I think that um, the Avs are probably going to play pretty well in front of him. They have really good skaters. And Kemper's the last line of defense. And he's capable of of carrying a team and stealing games. He's shown that during the regular season. He had a really strong regular season, especially after he came back from an injury in December. The playoffs have not been amazing so far for him. And this will be a big test. And he could be a difference maker one way or the other this series. Goaltending, obviously important. We know guys like McKinnon and McCarr are going to play big roles. But who's maybe a breakout candidate on this Avalanche team? Someone who maybe we're not talking a lot about right now. But at the end of the series, if the Avs win, we'll be sitting here going, hey, he played a really key role in all of this. I'll give you two. One is kind of more of an obvious name that people know, but that isn't hasn't really popped off these playoffs. And the other is maybe someone who who could emerge. The guy who who hasn't popped off yet is Mika Rantanen. And I feel like he's too talented for that. At some point, he's going to break through and have a few big games. And he's facilitating really well already, but he just hasn't necessarily found his shot yet. So I'm curious if if he will um, kind of emerge and what he can do this series. Um, beyond him, I think Bowen Byram looked exceptional last series against the St. Louis Blues. I thought he was unbelievable after Samuel Gerrard left with injury and he was exactly what Colorado needed. I think he had five points in the three games after Gerrard got hurt. All were assists, but he was also getting to the net and joining the rush offensively and setting up scoring chances that way and just looked really comfortable and is playing really well with Eric Johnson. So he's a guy who people know, obviously, is the number four overall pick a few years ago, but he's starting to really round into form. And I think if he's as potent as he looked against the Blues... Um, he could make a big difference against this Oilers team. Peter, always appreciate your time. The All-32, as always, brought to you by our friends at DoorDash, DFODD, DFODDUS. Those each get you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Peter, enjoy this series, and uh, I'll be seeing you up at Edmonton right away. Yeah, take care. Thank you so much. Moving along to our daily face-off inbox question, hashtag AskDFO. And Frank, we're going to flash up the odds for the Stanley Cup. And for the con Smythe, the books have the Avs and McKinnon as the favorites. The question is, who are your two favorites? I would say the Lightning until proven otherwise. The way that they dispatched the Leafs in Game 7, the way that they manhandled the Florida Panthers, and now, as I mentioned, the team that has played more hockey than anyone over the last three years to now get a week off. I just think the Lightning are in a prime spot. Their third-round matchup should be a little bit easier for them to manage than the Avs. Um, I don't think it's a slam dunk that the Avs win this series against the Edmonton Oilers. And also, on the Conn Smythe side, Andre Vasilevsky, for the reasons that we mentioned with the Lightning, his ability to close out games and series, he's a stud. He's the best goaltender in the world. He's won a Conn Smythe previously, and He's trending towards that. I mean, are you kidding me with the number of goals that he allowed in the second round against the Florida Panthers? How could Andre Vasilevsky not have better odds than plus 550? It feels like he's in a solid position moving forward. 
Yeah, I really like that Vasilevsky spot as well. And just to be a little bit different, you know, maybe Connor McDavid at plus 500. You could bet on the Oilers to win the cup at plus 550, but I don't love that spot. But you mentioned it, not a slam dunk that the Avs roll over Edmonton. If the Oilers make the final, even if they lose, you kind of wonder what what would a guy like Connor McDavid's con Smythe case be like if the Oilers lost in six or seven games in a Stanley Cup final? You pointed out this morning on the rundown, there's only ever been one forward to lose to lose in the final and win the con Smythe, correct? Correct. Yeah, one forward that has won the con Smythe in a yeah. losing effort. But by the way, by the same token, if the Oilers were to get there, how about a little bit further down the board? Leon Dreisaitl plus 1,400 to win the Conn Smythe. I like that because you could make the argument, as we talked about also in the rundown, that Dreisaitl was the Oilers MVP in round two and not McDavid, which, you know, when you look at his production, you would have said, really? How's that possible? Yeah, but uh, we're both in agreement that Vashlevsky at plus 550 seems like outstanding value when you consider the Lightning are plus 250 to win the Stanley Cup. But let's move into a little more betting talk in our daily bets segment brought to you by Points Bet Canada, one game on the slate tonight. And while I don't necessarily like either side to win this game, there are a couple of props that I don't mind. And I'm going to start with the Carolina side, and I'm taking Vincent Trocek to pick up a point. He's hit this in back-to-back games. He's got nine points in 13 games so far over the course of this playoff run. And I like the plus 115 payout here. Like, listen, someone's got to score in this hockey game. It's not going to end 0-0. So I'm going with a prop from either side, hoping I can go two for two. But as long as one of them hits, I'll be up money since Trocek pays out plus 115. So the Trocek point is my first prop. The second one I have is one of my favorites. I hold it near and dear to my heart. I'm hoping tonight is not the last chance I get to bet on it. It's a Mika Zibanejad assist at plus 125. Been one of my favorites throughout the course of the year. And I figured, oh, why not go back to it in a game seven? He has nine assists in 13 games so far in the playoffs, but he only has one in this series. So I'm taking, or my line of thinking is he's due. And a plus 125 payout, that's really solid. He's scored in four straight, but like I said, no assists. I like that to change tonight. A Zibanejad assist and a Vincent Trocek Point and Frank, while I wrap up, I will share with you, Jacob Slavin is plus 165 to get a point tonight. That's the one for me. Jacob Slavin, five points, as I mentioned, in two career game sevens. Why not him? Why not him to get an assist? I know he's not known as sort of this offensive juggernaut among defensemen, but certainly uh, has had a strong series defensively for the Carolina Hurricanes. And why not him in game seven? I, I love that pick at plus 165 given his history there of showing up in big moments that brings us to garbage time and tyler i'm just going to take it from here because we have awards voting open for one award and that is the jim gregory general manager of the year award and you know i just think this is the silliest award that the nhl hands out in the sense that not because we shouldn't honor a gm of the year of course we should but it's the manner and timing in which it is voted It's now the conference final. There'll be four teams left, and that's when ballots are due for 41 people, five league executives, five media members, and all 32 general managers. That's actually 42 since there's 32 teams now. Um, I I just – you got to send in your votes at the end of the regular season. First off, that's the way almost every other award, aside from the Conn Smythe, is voted. And in addition to that, Every year, year in and year out, if you look historically at the finalists for the award, almost every single time, it's three finalists from the top 
four teams remaining. And you go, well, what's the sense in that? If you've only got four teams left, it kind of makes it easy. It almost feels like cheating in a way. And so that's why I think this should be a regular season award when we already know how the team is built. The trade deadline is long since passed. That's when the award ballots should be due. So in this case, you know, it probably means guys like Bill Zito for his strong team that he built and Bill Guerin in Minnesota for the team that he built with the Wild will probably not end up getting votes. And there will still be worthy candidates as well. The guys that Ken Holland added to his team and received much grief for have been contributing in big ways for the Edmonton Oilers like Duncan Keith and like Brett Kulak. But moving forward, I don't know. I'd just like to see it on the same level ground as everyone else and that the GMs don't get any extra time to pick teams that might make them look smarter than they actually are. Is it not okay? So my counter, I agree with you, but the counter argument would be, is it not okay to sometimes have a little bit of hindsight? Like shouldn't GMs get credit for how their moves play out in the postseason? Cause that's ultimately what matters the most. It is. But again, it, it kind of feels like cheating. Like you, you, you are, you, when you know that there's only four teams left, like you're, there's no, that's not impressive. Yeah. Like it's not an impressive pick to get to that point and say, Oh, well, you know, Ken Holland really made some great move. It would have been impressive. Had you done that at the end of the regular season before they went on this run. It'd be like if the Jack Adams just went to whoever won the Stanley cup every year in a way, you know, and that's kind of more or less what we have. Like you're picking three yeah. finalists from four teams remaining. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from here, Frank. I fired up a little bit on a holiday Monday here. You enjoy the rest of that holiday, Frank, and to all of our listeners down south as well. That'll do it for another edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. We will be back tomorrow, myself and Mike McKenna, to get set for game one of the Western Conference Final. Until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the news and analysis you need. We'll chat again tomorrow. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.